This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. I've got a chat with Astonu to share with you. Astonu must be credited as one of the most important figures in Australian extreme metal history. He moved from Sydney to Norway in the late 90s, and he featured on a series of albums from The Covenant or Covenant, Carpe Tenebrum, and the big one, Demu Borgir. And of course, we touch on all of that throughout this chat. He'll share his thoughts, feelings, and recollections on performing on the albums, the personnel, touring the world, the whole thing. The catalyst for the chat, though, is due to the resurrection of Lord Chaos. That's a group that released their debut in 1997, a group from Sydney, and they are back in time for a show in Sydney with David Vinson's I Am Morbid. So we talk about Lord Chaos as well. But yes, this is a conversation that has been a long time coming. I'd long wondered what had happened to Astonu. Well, now I know, and now you can know, because here he is. Let's go. It's been quite the journey for you, hasn't it, over the past, it's 30 years, am I right in saying that, that you've had this life in extreme metal? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, probably started chaos uh, in 93, yeah. 93, um, yeah. Yeah, it would have been around then. I started, um, yeah, playing around, trying to... When I first started, you go through heaps of people in bands and garages and trying to find people you want to play with. Um, Yeah, it was hard for me because I started playing just in, like, cover bands, like, you know, just thrash bands. Everyone I grew up with, there was no – it was all thrash, and, like, even Slayer was too heavy for them, so I had to branch out and find other people who weren't at school or friends who had to start going in um, drum media and stuff and just – looking for ads and looking for other people going to gigs that are more heavier. But yeah, once I started to find out, um, there was other people that had, um, yeah, liked heavier stuff. That's, that's where I started to go. Yeah. This is where it's at. Just enjoyed it. You, you were an outlier amongst outliers, given that the extreme metal scene in Australia back in those days, and I was around back then, I certainly wasn't playing in the bands, but I was an admirer and to your point, used to read the drum media and time off and these magazines and used to see the ads. And I mean, the big one, of course, was Sadistic Execution. But outside of that, there wasn't really any bands of any, when I say great prominence, you know what I'm talking about. There was yeah, Psych sure. Christ and a few of these bands and the Warhead Records label, and we'll talk about that in due course, of course. Sure. But um, your, your journey, man, I, I remember talking to, I think her name is Julie in the Hammer House. Yeah, yeah. yeah back yeah, in the day. Julie, yeah. yeah, I remember talking to her and she was a lovely lady and and she was explaining to me uh, that, oh, you got to get this album when it comes out. It's got this guitarist on it and it was the Lord Chaos, uh, Thorns of Impurity. And she said, yeah, he's not here anymore. He's gone over to, to Norway. And I was like, wow, how could an Australian go over to Norway? What's the what's the link there? What's the connection there? And then I started to see your name pop up more and more and more. And then you 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 your spirit, you had spiritual black dimensions, I think was the album, was it? But it was the Yeah, we, the I demo. did I, I did Godless Savage Garden first, and then we did spiritual. But yeah, spiritual was the main one. And I think um well, I had Nexus Polaris with Covenant was just before that as well. Yeah, and they were they were a band that really disappointed me, to be quite honest with you, because the Nexus Polaris was a fantastic album, and then yeah, they, they switched into this Marilyn Manson sort of a thing. Well, that's and, why I stopped playing there. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Okay, yeah, because anyway, I remember we'll get into that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like a lot of things will sort of come through quickly because you know you're one of those guitarists that I've uh, just had an awareness of for so long. But that'd be the. Do you want to talk about Lord Chaos first or your journey sure. first? What, what's yeah. what's the preference? For you? Well, well, I'm good to go with whatever, man. So you just go for it, and we can go from there. So, Lord. To paint the picture, I think Thorns of Impurity is one of the greatest symphonic black metal albums ever recorded, and that came out at a time when Nemesis Divina was pretty much the benchmark. So when I think of symphonic black metal, of course, you've got Emperor, okay? They're a bit of a separate beast because they've almost yeah. transcended black metal in some ways. But but when I think about Nemesis Divina and Thorns of, of Impurity, they're the two that I hold up as being guitar-driven symphonic black metal masterpieces, okay? So... You were long gone, I think, by the time the album was released, so correct me if I'm wrong. But now you're here, you're back again, and now is this you just reclaiming your space? So is that, is that the catalyst behind returning? Um, yeah, basically, um, I'm just, I've, I've never stopped writing music or creating music, but I just wasn't in the right place to put everything together and feel comfortable enough to go, I can do this now. And um yeah, basically, and the album got re-released like a few months ago on um, Nuclear War Productions, and um, that came out. Um, I wasn't really involved with repressing that, but then the old guys from the band, they, they got in touch with me and told me what they were doing, and I said, okay, this sounds all right. How about um, yeah, we put it back together and see how it goes? And, yeah, I started, <clears throat> the more I started thinking about it, the more I started getting into it, it was like, no, this is cool. And I had just finished writing an album last year. I just, for some reason, I just, I spent six months and just wrote a complete new album, but I just didn't know what to do with it. And when this come back into the fold, I was like, okay, now it's time to, um, to do this properly again. So yeah, it's the last nice. few months has just been putting everything back together, you know, putting equipment together, putting redoing all the old tracks and everything. It's um it's been a lot of work. <laughs> what was the the we talk about reclaiming your space though, but was there an impetus or a catalyst behind that? Did you, were you in other words, were you getting a lot of fan mail and people going, you've got to do this, mate? Oh yeah, I've, but that's always happened. Um but yeah, particularly once the re-release of the <clears throat> of Thorns of Purity come out, it was just like, yeah, I, I don't have like I've never had social media or anything before, so it's not like I've, you know, been contactable in that way. So, um, but yeah, people were were interested in it, and I thought it'd be um, something. Yeah, I, I just thought it'd be something to do again, to something for myself. Um, yeah, kind of like hobbyish. I always enjoyed it, so I just thought, you know, right now's the right time to do it. I'm in a position where I can do it, so I was happy to have a go at it. Um, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be, but <laughs> nothing ever is, man. Like, you just, yeah, you start, you know, to do that album, like, we did that in 95. So the way I wrote that album, put it together, produced it, I don't have any of that stuff anymore. So I had to start from scratch again, like, just to do all the live stuff and put it back together. So that's been pretty um, challenging, but it's it's been fun and nostalgic as well. I'm looking forward to yeah playing some shows. Yeah, I saw the group a couple of times back in the day through '97 and '98. There was a show with Destroy Six 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 in particular at the Forest Inn at Bexley. Yeah, um, I remember that one quite well because it was a Destroyer show, and they do fuck all shows in Australia, as you know. Yeah. So um, 
I remember, if I'm not mistaken, they were using backing tracks. So is that is that what you're planning on doing this um, time around, or have you got the keys and stuff? No, there's just it's just a three piece. So um, there is yeah, there's backing tracks, the same as the original. Like I don't know, I don't know. I know that yeah, they got a full band together after I left, but um, no, it's I'm just doing it how you know, how it all originally was. Same yeah, as the album. It's, it's basically the same as the album was done as well. And, you know, we, we played here for two or three years um, doing it that way. And, look, I've, as soon as people have heard that this is rehappening, I've got drummers, keyboarders, players everywhere going, let me do it, let me do it. I'm just saying, no, we're doing it. We're doing it the way that we started off. Ah, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised that there'd be people crawling out of the woodwork to help because, especially the guys in the Inventor. I've had a conversation with uh, an <laughs> awesome guy, the, the guitarist. Uh, but uh, we're both Eric? big fans of the group. Ah, oh, might be Eric. Name name another. I've done so I don't, many I don't know anyone so else. In the, I, Eric, <laughs> Eric, I really, I know Eric very well. Um, yeah, we've hung out a lot, and I, um, I just seen him at Emperor, and yeah, they've got a new EP coming out, which is. Um, yeah, there's there's going to be some interesting stuff on that there. Put it that way. Yeah, and and for you, you, you you're actually supporting David Vincent and his I Am Morbid vehicle as well. So how did that come about? Um, just bleed. I think bleed productions or whoever's putting it on. Yeah, got in contact with me and said, "Boy, I use um, I heard that you you know you're getting back together. You're writing new stuff. Um, he's you know planning to play live." And I said, "Hell yeah!" And he goes, "Do you want to play this show?" And I said, "Yeah, let's do it because." needed something to go okay now we've got a date where everything has to be done by it's like it's a goal to get to you know what i mean so that was the first thing um so yeah i know it's i think it's about eight weeks away but yeah it's taken it's taken me probably the last one one or two months to yeah to put everything really together and it's almost done now so we start rehearsing next week so yeah it'll be fun you're feeling a bit nervous about it all no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm fine with it. I've done. I've played enough shows to, yeah. Oh, look, maybe a, maybe a little bit once it gets closer. But no, it's if you do the work and you know what you're doing. I think it's um. I think it, if you prepare for it, it should be fine. Mm. Yeah, I reckon. So say good day to Bill Hudson too. Of I, I, I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but I've done a few interviews with him in a few text, ex, text exchanges, and he strikes yep. me as a nice fella too. And he's playing in that group these days. So yeah, um, he is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the other question is, you left Demo. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Around 2003, 2004, sometime around there. Yeah. And then if memory, I'm drawing on my memory here. You were part of a coalition of musicians. Is probably the best way to describe it. In Infernal Method. And then I didn't hear yeah, anything about you for a while. Yeah, and then yeah. I didn't hear anything about you up until now. So is it just family life and work being? No, after that, um, I was just recording pretty much. Um, yeah, in the in the early um, yeah, from halfway through the noughties up to about 2010, 11, I was um, in my own studio. I was just recording, yeah, metal, but a lot of hardcore stuff. Um, I did that for a while. Um, and then yeah, 2011, I sold that studio and yeah, just started taking it easy, man. Like um, it wasn't, I was over recording bands. It would just become like anything else. They just say, oh, I just want to sound like this or sound like that, and you just started pushing record button. And when you start not really caring, but just going through the motion, it's time to get out. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's like 
there was like doing the, uh, I did the Infernal album first go, and I I did other albums where you could really get into and produce it. That's what I would like. But you know, a lot of bands would just start turning up and say, "Oh, let's just make it sound like the band before that you're done." And I was just like, uh, I, uh, "It wasn't fun anymore." And then yeah. yeah, from after that, I just yeah, I kind of got out of it altogether. You you do have a globally recognised name as a killer guitarist, though. So, were you getting any offers from? Oh yeah, really? always, always, always. But significant acts were any significant acts reaching out to you? The level of demo. Um, when I first when I first wasn't playing the demo anymore, yeah, I got a I got a few offers here and there. But right at that time, I was just wasn't interested at all in playing anywhere. I just. Yeah, I moved back to Australia and I just, yeah, I took a, a year or two of just pretty much doing nothing um, just to get my, just to get everything straight and head and everything again. And I did that last Carpe album. And then after that, I didn't record anything for a while. So you've been in music the entire time, but you switched from being behind the guitar to being behind the desk effectively for these past 20 odd years or so. Yeah, yeah, I've always, yeah. Like, I'll still like be mixing like at least one album a year. There's always, I'll always do one album a year at the moment, but now I've got back into it, like um, doing our own stuff. Um, yeah, we've pretty much nearly almost finished doing an EP that's going to come out first um, with Lord Chaos. And I've got the next album already done. Yeah. I'm just yeah waiting off on that. So yeah, I've just been getting back into doing the recording thing. You got you got labels and distribution lined up already for these things. Um, uh, I've got some offers. I'm just not sure that which ones to go with yet. Especially with this first EP, I, I'd probably like to do the first EP with more more Australian label. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, <clears throat> it's just going to be. Um, it's just five songs, and it's just songs that I've had for a while that I just want to get out of the way i think they they should be re, re, yeah, recorded and put out there um and that should come out in the next couple of months um but yeah album should be started next year and then i'll then i'll try and go with something more more out there that's interesting you take that strategy i would have uh this is only me from as an outsider looking in yeah. um maybe because you're right in my era of extreme metal the cachet that I associate with the band and indeed you is probably a lot higher than maybe maybe you see yourself. So what I'm thinking is Nuclear Blast or Prosthetic Records or somebody like that, surely, or Blood Blast, you know, the, the subsidiary to Nuclear Blast, but just to ensure you get that European um, in, in all the right pages in the European press. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, as I said, there's, there's options out there and, look, I'm sure that I'll talk to, I'll talk to a lot of them and um, see what's going, but, yeah, I'm... I'm just I'm that I'm just not really worried about that at the moment. You know what I mean? Like I know it's not nothing. I don't take anything for granted. I I know that someone will put out my stuff, but it's just something I'm not thinking about right now. I'm just thinking about trying to get this new stuff down and really just playing live. I just want to get out playing live around here again. Um, yeah, it's I think it's something that we need to do. I'm just trying to go back because before Thorns of Impurity, we put out a demo. So I'm just trying to replicate that same thing back then, you know, just do like a five-song EP and then do an album after that. Yeah, it's a nice thing to do. It's also about creating the legacy too, isn't it? You know, you've got an artefact there for all time, effectively. I talk about that a lot on the podcast because uh, albums, whether we like it or not, 
for a certain mm-hmm. demographic, pretty much whatever with Gen X, but whatever's below us, Gen Z and Gen Y yeah. and Millennial, whatever the fuck they are, they don't they love Spotify. And they love singles, they love once-offs. So there's this whole conversation around release strategy and the like that you've got to consider. But if that's it's like me with the podcast, right? I don't even know marketing. We're gonna put it out there, whoever finds it, finds it. And it sounds yeah. like you've sort of taken a similar tack with what you're doing with the music. Yeah, and also I'm just I'm just I've got to brush up on like how how it works today. It doesn't work like it used to, obviously. You know what I mean? Like so I'm learning a lot as well about that side of it then. You can do a lot of self-promotion yourself, you and you have to. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm saying like I'm sure I'll get to that in the next couple of months. But right now I'm just trying to get everything put together properly and not rush anything. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. So yeah. Try trying not to make um mistakes. <laughs> I know I will, but as I said, I'm just learning all this all the way that it, stuff works now. So it's just great to see you back, and I think a lot of fans are going to feel the same way, uh, particularly because you, you, your resume is is quite impressive. When, when you, from an Australian standpoint, nobody's got a resume like you. The only other person I can think of is Matt Wilcock. He's the only other bloke who's done. He's up with Acre Cocker and Berserker, yeah. and there's a few other things that I think that he's done as well. But globally recognised international brands. Let's face it, because that's the way social media works, and you've got that cachet too. But you've got it from a time where. Uh, I call it the supernova, so that that millennial period. So from 1997, 1998 to about 2002 when extreme metal roared back in after grunge and electronica sort of blew everything apart and the Rolling Stone was convinced that rock and metal were were antiquated dead forms of music and all the rest of it. And you, you were part of that, that coalition of musicians that helped spearhead that, though. So I, I probably nobody's framed it this way, but if it wasn't for your playing on those demo records, same thing with Cradle of Filth, Satyricon, um, would extreme metal have sounded, continued to sound the way that it does now? Probably not. So I made this point with um, Michael Amott, you know, extreme metal in a lot of yeah. ways. It's been re- redefined through your playing. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, as I said, um, I get a lot of that. Because um, at the time, especially with Dimu, like extreme metal, a lot of guitarists weren't playing like melodic solos and things like that as well. So I think a lot of people, I get a lot of questions, messages about, you know, solos and, you know, people say that, you know, you're the only person that done it or started doing that. Um, it was just something I always done, you know, like I grew up listening to guitar players that played that way. And I like, when I went to Norway and stuff, like everyone played guitar, but no one played melody. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to change that. Not on purpose, but I just, that's just how I've always done it. The Swedes we, tended to get into that, didn't they? The Norwegians they were more about the yeah. angular shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. I always said that like Norwegians write songs, Swedish, Swedish people play instruments. You know what I mean? So true. Yeah. Because Great insight. I know. Oh, man, I know some really bad guitar players, like tech, like guitar players, really bad guitar players that write the best songs ever and they're all from Norway. And then I know a lot of Swedish players who are really great guitar players, but songwriting's not as good, not always, but, you know, there's um, that's just how I always seen it. And that's not putting shit on left or right. It's all who they are. It's just, you know, that's just different people have different different ways of what, doing what they're doing. 
Well, you'd know you were there. You were in and amongst <laughs> it all, mixing with the musicians, helping them write songs. I mean, your your handiwork is across Nexus Polaris, uh, puritanical misanthropy. I always get the the, yeah, yeah. the cadence of that word incorrect. But and then uh, what was the one after that? I had Barker on drums. What was that one called? Uh, no, no, Barker's on puritanical. Ah, puritanical. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I did godless and spiritual and. Yeah, puritanical. I wrote a lot of puritanical too. So yeah, uh-huh. it's yeah. All there's a there's um yeah there's a, yeah there's a lot of my fingerprints over it. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. So I, I classify uh, and I, and I got to know Stuart Anstis uh, before he passed yeah. away. God bless his soul. Yeah, he's a um, great guy. Oh, you knew him? Yeah, yeah. We played lots of lots of shows together. Shit. What was yeah, he? Like, what, what were your experiences like with him? Oh, very good. Yeah, he was all. Yeah, he was a great guy, man. You know, like everyone else that age, in late nineties, were all, always partying, hanging out. Um, yeah, Dimmu and Cradle played a lot back in back in the late nineties. Um, it was very strange because we did play a lot together, and then once we cert- once we got to a certain point, then we kind of didn't play together anymore. They were doing their shows, we we're doing ours, but yeah, we played with them a lot. Um, I think the first show I played with Dimu was Dimu in Flames Dissection and Cradle of Filth. So wow, that's a hell of a lineup. And it was all on the on great albums too. Like with Dimu, it was Enthroned. I was playing Enthroned tour, mm-hmm. and um, in Flames, it was their first album, which is my favorite. And Dissection it was Storm the Lights Pain. Which is their best thing? Well, that's that's a landmark. Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's just man. Getting to watch that every day is amazing. I'm glad I got to do that. And uh, Cradle of Filth, it was um, dusk, so it was was amazing. You know, I got to watch Nick every day, Stu every day, um, Sarah as well. Um, yeah, it was good hanging out with them guys. But yes, yeah, Stu was always helpful, man, and he'd always. Not everyone in that band was always talky, or come hang out with you, but Stu and Gian and Sarah always did. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had com- I've been talking to Sarah uh, for a while now. Yeah, about she's great. I just talked to her today. She's great. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, please say if you do again, uh, sure. no obligation, of course. But say I said <laughs> good day. I mean, she's she's unsure about coming on the show because she knows that I'll ask all the questions. And yeah, uh, yeah, I know. She, <laughs> I know. And she's yeah. Sarah's um, she's great, but. Uh, yeah, I, one thing I do like about her, she she'll open her mouth and tell the truth, and some people don't like that. Yeah, I know. I've just told her though that that, like I've said with because I've I've had interview conversations with when I say most most of the important cradle people from back in those days. Yeah, Les, I haven't I haven't got to Les yet. Uh, Les just is impossible to in, interface with. But uh, John Kennedy and um, and Sarah yeah. are the two outliers at the minute. And, yeah, John's uh, great. Yeah, I, John, I'm talking to quite a bit, but it's just. Getting the the commitment to yeah. lock in a time and Sarah, it's the same. You know, eventually it'll happen. And uh, yeah, she's another one who knows where all of the bodies are buried. If you know what I'm saying. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. So and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, sometimes it's you know back in the day it was my problem as well. Like I'm a, I'm opinionated about stuff, and I open my mouth sometimes when I shouldn't because everyone thinks that you know. Don't don't talk about baseball like inside baseball. You know what I mean? Like, but sometimes if you hear stuff that's not right, you got to say it. You know. Well, the conversation I had with Stuart 
was groundbreaking from that perspective and that he shared it all. He didn't give a shit anymore. And he was polite <laughs> about it all. He just spoke his – it's not even his truth. He spoke his – what his perspective on things is. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and it's a huge resonance in the community. I, I'd get – there was a stage there where i get one or two messages a day about that chat. It was a four-hour-long chat that I posted, and uh, he just went there and he, he said it. And, yeah, he, he didn't get along with Gian at all or John. John yeah. is his name. And uh, he just said it how it was. As far as he was concerned, and I think that's really important that you own your turf on that regard because, yeah, there's these, especially when members leave bands, they went, for example, just talking about Cradle of Filth, the narrative that Danny Filth put out there when when Barker, Les and Stuart left was that they weren't writing songs, and it turns out that's just a loaded, that's a lie. It's just a flat-out lie, but they didn't have the connections to the media at the time or maybe they didn't care to actually yeah. set that record straight. So that was out there for a long time until 2017 when I spoke to Stuart and he said, fuck off, we'd written tons of songs. It was yeah. just the dynamic had shifted. And maybe Faye Wolven had, was, mm-hmm. I don't know. Faye, so Faye, Faye's got a lot to do with it, I think. Well, I'm trying, I have messaged her a few times and I'm always respectful of people's privacy. I'm not a stalker for yeah, God's yeah. sakes, but but I, a bit like what happened <clears> with you guys in Nexus, uh, in um, The Covenant, you know, one minute, this this unbelievable band, Cradle of Filth, are playing this new wave of British heavy in, in, inspired black metal. The next minute, they're dressing like Danny Filth's got his nipples cut out of his yeah, PVC outfit yeah, and shit. Yeah. And it's like, for a bloke like me, I haven't changed much. I still pretty much dress the way I do now back then and stuff. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, is this is this an appeal to the Oxford Street Brigade or what is it? You know, I don't understand what's actually happening here. So... It was just confronting, wasn't it? And was it? Did you feel that way with with the covenant? Um, yeah, like for me, it it happened really quickly. Like we were writing, starting to write for um, animatronic. I, I have yeah a few songs on there. Um, I think we were starting to write, and I was out just you know I think it was a Saturday night or something. You know, I've gone to the local pub at Elm Street where we all hang out, and I just seen um yeah Nagas walk through the door and. Yeah, yeah, he looked like Marilyn Manson. I said, "What's going on here?" <laughs> and then, yeah, and uh, Blackheart, the same thing. They just went, "Oh, we're going to do this now." And they showed me what they kind of wanted to do, and I was like, mm, "This doesn't look good, man." And you know, I love, I love, I love Hellhammer to death, man. I like he's the nicest guy on the planet. Yeah, he's great. He's um, but seeing him with pink eyeshadow on that cover really um, <laughs> it was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> Yeah, I remember it. I distinctly recall I was on an aeroplane of all places. I remember the moment when I saw that, the interview, and I saw Hellhammer with that purpley mascara yeah, shit yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I was like, is this the, the is this him? I know yeah. he's in the band, but is it have they brought somebody else in to look like him, <laughs> but with you know, just all the shit on or something? And I, I can't understand why from a market because it's all about marketing and a bit yeah. of presentation to the public. I can't understand why Cradle and bands like um uh, the Covenant went in that in that direction. What were they inspired by? I, I get the Marilyn Manson, but it, was, it wasn't popular. Marilyn Manson has never been popular with metal fans. Ramstein. And go, yeah, they, they don't. But you know, people like you and I. I think I bought one Ramstein record, Senstucht or whatever it's called. Sorry for all the German listeners. Yeah, no, they've, it they've got enough. they've got one good album. Their first album is really good. Yeah, I think I've, it, might, it was the second one I think I got. Yeah, the one yeah. with Duhast on it. Yeah, and uh, great, great. It sounded okay, but then I think I might have bought the follow-up and I was lost by then. I was like, no, it's oh, not, yeah, not yeah, really yeah. for me. Yeah. It's, they um, only have one album for me because the guitar, like the 
yeah, the, the guitar on their first album, the riffs are just all downstroke right hand riffs and they're just, they're great. Uh-huh, yeah. But I, I think the point still stands, though, is that, is that extreme metal fans didn't really get into those outfits. No, very understandable. Whereas extreme metal fans did love Cradle, Demi Borgir, sorry, it's raining here at the moment, which was a window, all these yeah. bands that you were, you were a part of, and they sort of like was this shift very early on, and it was confusing because it was like, we, you can't be serious, you can't be chasing these fans because they don't care about extreme metal. They're... They're the corn fans. They're the. They're probably going to listen to Limp Biscuit next or what have you. Or they have a playlist or whatever it might be. But they're not invested. So, and and I think that's the point. And it to me, I could be wrong here, Jay. Okay, so tell me if you think I'm wrong here. But I feel like as though it put a cap on their success. Oh, hundred percent, like hundred percent. Um, but the thing is, they at the same time um, in Norway, like. For Nexus Polaris, we won Metal Album of the Year at all the award shows. And then Animatronic actually won Metal Album of the Year at the award shows as well the next year. So to them, they thought that that's, that's, that was working. So, yeah, I, it is what it is. I, I wasn't interested in doing that stuff. But um, but also at that time, like, Nagash was playing in Dumu, I was playing in Covenant, and I there was a time where we had to choose one way or the other anyway. So he was always going to choose Covenant because that's his baby. And I was always going to choose Demo because it, that's, I, yeah, it's not, a, it's, I just enjoyed playing that band a lot. Um, yeah. Plus we played more. It was more of a, yeah, it was a more of a rolling machine at that point. So yeah, that was, I was, I wasn't living in Norway to hang out and do stuff. I was there to play. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I can't just take six months off, mate. I've got to play shows. You know, I got to make a living. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's still. I watched that video today. It's hilarious. There's uh, the band, the Covenant, on stage, and then there you are, and they're yeah. all dressed in all of their Marilyn Manson outfit, and you're yeah. looking like the full black metal outfit with the. Because we just know. finished. We just <laughs> Demo just finished playing. I remember, and uh, ah. so basically, before they did the awards. Well, before they announced the winner, um, Dimu had just played. So basically, and then they give out like give out the award, and then they said, you know, winners covenant. And I started walking over because I was part of that band as well. And the producers are like, "What are you doing?" They thought I was going over there to trash to, to beat them up or something. You know what I mean? And I was like, "No, no, 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 I'm still playing there." But yeah, that's that's where it all that's where it all started to change, man. Like when I yeah seeing that stuff, that's how I seen them. Few weeks before or whatever, and yeah, it was weird. Wow, shit. Okay, yeah, no, that makes all well, that answers that question because I always sort of <laughs> wondered what the hell happened there, and I, I figured it must have been something to do with that. But then I don't know. It might have also been that Demu's management said, you know, like the Metallica thing, you guys can't play in other bands. You got to play in this band. But no, yeah. you've answered it. So there you go. <laughs> no, no, no. Basically, it was um. Well, that that is that is that has come up, but um, right. At that point in time, because uh, I think when we were recording Nexus, I got a phone call from Satir, and they were going out Nemesis to be in a tour, oh, and wow. they needed a guitar player to just play the just play live. Yeah, and I was like, hell yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we made he goes, you know, come out play with us live. You know what I mean? Because I, I didn't wasn't playing for the next six weeks or something, and we um covenant wasn't going to because we just finished uh we were halfway through recording nexus and i was like yeah sure 
um, the dates would work out. But yeah, the guys in Dimu said if I yeah if you if you play if you play with Satyricon, then yeah you won't you'll be out of Dimu. That's a sliding doors moment. Do you do you see it that way? Um, no, look. Uh, look, for me, it was a, it was a, it wasn't a letdown because I'm not playing as Tyrion at that time. I it was for me that was like a good six weeks, six weeks of pay that you know I could pay my rent. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> um, at that time we were doing okay, but not not yet. You know what I mean? So that was that was the thing I was most disappointed about that they didn't understand that I was just doing this for a job and to get experience. Um, but they were like. No, 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 no! You can't play there. So, calling up Satir and saying I couldn't do it was um, wasn't the best because even before I joined Dimmu, they were looking for a guitar player, and um, oh yeah, they had asked me to come and try out, but um, other stuff got in the way, and yeah, but I've always had time for Satir. I know a lot of people um have things against him or whatever, but yeah, he's always nice to me. He's always helpful. Um, yeah, but you know, again. That's how it is there. Yeah, I think I, I spent about an hour talking to him in this scenario here, and he, he was very congenial, mate, and uh, knew a lot about our wines, Penfolds, and yeah, he's yeah, a wine course, collector yeah, and yeah, stuff. Course, and, yeah, know, yeah. yeah, but he's he he sounded like the sort of guy that you, would, you wouldn't mind being stuck next to on a flight from Brisbane to Los Angeles, if you know what I mean. So yeah, exactly, yeah. I always I, sort of a lot of them do, guys, A lot of them older guys uh, are like that, like, you know, when I when I was when I was first going to Norway, I used to hang out at the pub a lot because uh, for the first six, well, seven, eight months, I didn't I didn't even have a place. I was just sleeping on couches and staying at the pub until it's three or four o'clock in the morning. And if I didn't have anywhere to go sleep, I'd just go wait till the train station open at five and just go hang out there. Um, and there'd always be this guy that would turn up like a five thirty metalhead, and um, yeah, he'd always come up and say hello and go, oh, I'll come sit over here and I would talk to him, man, just about metal, but other stuff like, you know, books and stuff. Like we just really had the same kind of thing. And um, after about two weeks of every day just talking to this person, it was like a Saturday night and we were, um, you know, that's when everyone's there and was talking to him. And um, I think it was Naga. She goes, you know who that guy is, right? I said, no, it's it's Gilbert. It's just the guy I've been talking to for two weeks, and it's Fenris, <laughs> the nicest oh, guy shit. ever. <laughs> and yeah, he's another good. Yeah, we've yeah, man. Like he gave me, he would turn up and give me books and stuff. Like yeah, we just connected totally. We didn't even know who each other was. Well, at that point, I was nobody. But um, yeah, all them older school people, man. Like they're always nice, man. Garm is one of the nice people in the world as well. Mm. From all of um. Just people that didn't have, you know, chips on their shoulder or anything that, like to me anyway. But then um that that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, familiarity can can breed contempt, I think, can't it? And that from that perspective. Plus what was I mean, it's so unusual what you did, being an Aussie going to Scandinavia. I mean, this is the mid nineties. Nobody did that except for 90s, you. No, yeah, I went in 96 for about three months and I come back and then, yeah, I moved in February 97. 
okay, so like mid late nineties, what have you? Yeah. But was there must have been a bit of a novelty factor that this bloke from all the way across the world has lobbed up in Norway can play guitar like a bastard, like Ted Nugent and Randy Rhodes combined, and you just sort of lobbed up. But were you considered a bit of a novelty in that regard that you're an Aussie in and amongst all these Scandinavian people? Maybe, but it worked two ways. There were a lot of people who. Yeah, we're cool, to, cool with me and encouraged me and helped me out. Like, and there was a lot of people that were like, you know, you're not Norwegian. What are you doing coming in trying to do this shit? And they're just drunk Vikings. And I think that, you know, a lot of them just put it on because they want to think they're hard. But, you know, God. it's, um, there was a couple of times where, you know, got hairy, but there's always someone there to settle it down. But yeah, there was people were either really nice or people didn't like her. There was no in between. Yeah, but that's I'm, how it is in Norway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like Australia or England or Ireland or somewhere. Like, you know, if if you had someone that was from another country, and even if he was playing in your band, if you had nowhere to sleep, you'd just say, "Look, man, just come and stay with me." In Norway, wow, man! Like, it takes like a year for them to, <laughs> you know, for them oh, to really? try to help you out. Oh, yeah, man! Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, that makes it even more impressive what you achieved when you were over there. So, the can you talk about your introduction to Demo? In other words, how were you sure. how were you appointed in the band? Did it happen <laughs> here in Australia or yeah? No, basically, um, yeah, like basically, we had recorded Thorns of Impurity. Everything was great here actually at that time. Yeah, we were playing to like I don't know, man. We we could play every weekend in Sydney to like two, three hundred people. And at the time that was great because um, no one else was really doing it. So everyone would come out. It was really weird. Like we'd have metalheads, like extreme metalheads, but then half of the crowd would be um, goth chicks. It was really weird. So the crowd was really split um, and it started to take off. Um, we just recorded it, but I see, I, ne- uh, I, I did not want to give this album to Warhead Records. That was just something I just never wanted to do. Um, and Metallion from Slayer Magazine, of course you'd know. Yeah, yeah, sure. he come on a holiday. he come over for a holiday um, and he was staying with Chris, um, Sadistic Chris and basically, um, yeah, we were playing at Agincourt one night and um, he was in the crowd and just he, he come and watched us. Uh, I didn't know he was there or whatever. Um, next day I got a call from Chris and said, hey, Metallion wants to come meet you. So we come around the house and, um, yeah, I played him like Chaos album and he was like, head not found, I'll sign you right now. And I'm like, fuck yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, yep, sure, not a problem. This is great. Like, you know, everything just went, like, this is that, everything I've been, been, I've been working for. Yeah. Um, and I was like, great. And then I um, called a bass player and he was like, oh, man, this is awesome. This is great. And I called our singer and he was like, nah, we should give it to Warhead. And I just I just couldn't believe it. Um, there wasn't, you know, and then he said, okay, okay, yeah. I tried to talk him into it. I, even, even the thought of thinking that I'd have to talk to someone into this is really stupid. But yeah. um he finally said, okay, okay, okay. So then I got Italian to come around our house with the other guys just so we could hang out and talk and then just do a handshake agreement, everything. 
And then, yeah, I sing it turned up. And then he just flat out said, no, I can't do this, can't sign you. I don't want to give it to Brad at Warhead. And I just, that's that's where I was done. I was like, yeah. I'm not doing it. I said, I, I, like, I just I can't do this. Why couldn't you give it to Brad for Australia? Well, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> that's the next day. So the next day, okay. next day, because I, I just walked out of my own house at this point, just going, what's going on? Yeah. Then the next day I come back and um, Brad and Italian had got together themselves and they said, okay, Warhead can just do Australia and Head Not Found can do the rest of the world. Okay. So we so so we agreed on that. I said, yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. That's fine. But by this time, I was just I was upset. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. Um, I already had a holiday booked to go to Norway anyway. I think like a month after that, uh, I just wanted to go on a holiday there just to see what it was about. Um, mm. And then yeah, like a week after that, I just turned up to um, bass player's house and just. Gave him all the equipment and said, look, man, I'm done. I'm out. Here's the equipment. If you just want to keep going, then go for it. Like, because I was just, that just, I knew that, that they, he wasn't, uh, they, they just weren't going to ever go anywhere. Like, not in a bad way, but I just knew that that was a robot. Look, they were older than me. I was like 17. They were like 24, 25. They had jobs. They had all this stuff. And to them, it was kind of not a hobby, but. Like me, I didn't. That's all I did. Um, so, yeah, basically, I said, that's it. I quit the band, gave him all the stuff, went to Norway for a holiday. But I already had um, another album written. So I went to Norway and um, I was staying at Battalion's house in Salzburg. And I said, um, I've got this album here. Listen to it and said, oh, man, like, we'll put this out and had not found. Sweet. So um, that was going to happen. I just had to find a singer. And then, um, uh, you know the band Ragnarok? Yes, yep. From Salzburg. They were, um, they were recording um, their album, and Shagarath was um, playing keyboards on it in the studio. So, and he was staying at Metallion's house for a couple of days just while he did the studio tracks, and um, I was staying at Metallion's as well. Um, and just, yeah, after a recording session one night, he come back to the house and, um, yeah, he was sleeping on the floor, like on a mattress and a sleeping bag. And I was just up just playing guitar. Like I always played guitar back then, like hours and hours. And, um, I thought everyone, he was asleep and everything. He wasn't asleep, but he was just there listening to me. And then, um, yeah, the next day, oh no, two days after that, I got a call, um, from Nago saying, Hey man. I've got um, these people putting putting this covenant band together, like with proper people, like with Hellhammer and Svard and stuff. He goes, you want to come and try it, like come and play guitar with us? I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, two or three days later, I went to a rehearsal room and, um, yeah, it was me, Hellhammer, Nagash and Blackheart, and we just jammed for And that was like, that was perfect. Everything, everything was great. <laughs> Um, and then I said, look, man, like, I'd love to play in this band. Um, and they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, no problem. So I said, okay, just give me a month. I'll go back home and do what I have to do and I'll be back. And, um, I did that. Um, 
And then I, at the same time, I said, hey, no, gosh, yeah, I need someone to record on this, <laughs> vocals on this album for me. Will you do it? He said, yeah. So that was the first Carpe album, um, Majestic Nothingness, which is being re-released next month. Uh-huh. Okay, who's that through? Nuclear War. Same uh-huh. as the Lord Chaos one, Nuclear War production, so vinyl, CD, tapes, everything. Um, Sweet. So, um, but yeah, so then I... I just come back to Australia, sold everything except for a guitar and a bag and probably had like, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something. And I just got on a plane and left everything. And then, um, yeah, like, yes, just kept jaring with Covenant for a while. And then, um, yeah, then we had to do an enthroned tour. And... Yeah, one night out at the pub, Showgirls just say, man, will you come play guitar on this tour? Because I don't want to play guitar anymore. I just want to sing. And I said, yeah, sure. I'm like, yeah, you know, Nagash is going to be there too. So it's not going to conflict with anything. So yeah, I'll come play and did that tour and got back and I just didn't leave the band. <laughs> like no one said anything. We just, I just kept turning up to rehearsals and writing stuff. And that was it. There was no like, you're in the band. I just, I just stuck, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Pretty a bit of that's fatalism on. about all of this, isn't there? Yeah. That that the sliding doors moment seems like it was the decision by the rest of the band and Lord Chaos to sign with Warhead, for yeah. or as it turns out, Australia, and that was the compelling event for you to jet off on a plane. So it begs the question: I mean, what did your what did your family, what did your parents say? You're such a young fella going over to such an unknown uh, part of the world. No, I wasn't living with my parents at that time anyway, mate. I and I. Yeah, I didn't. I trust me at that time. I didn't care about any. <laughs> didn't care about girlfriends. Didn't care about anyone. I was just like, I'm doing this. Like, I just yeah. walked out of a room with like playing with Hellhammer. You can go screw yourself. I'm out of here. Like, yeah, not in a bad way. I just, I just said, look, I'm going. You know, and um, no one said anything. And um, yeah, it was strange. Like, you know, it was weird letting go of all my friends. And plus, this is Australia, so. Tall poppy syndrome starts kicking in with your mates as well. So then they start fobbing you off and, you know, what I mean? Is that right? That's oh, terrible. Yeah. When I first came back here, man, you'd go to a gig and all your friends would just shake your hand as hard as they could to show you they were a man and just walk on. Wankers. Yes. Wow. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that, yeah, from a fan's perspective, I'm fairly patriotic, so I just was like, fucking Aussie's doing this. This is fantastic. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not how it works, man. <laughs> It's a bit different now. There's a lot of bands, Australian bands, Die Art is Murder and Virgin's yeah, sure. Crown and these extreme, and they're all extreme metal bands. It just depends on the flavour of extreme metal you like. But um, look, I, look, in my experience, uh, or everybody seems very, very cool these days, but I'm definitely on a periphery on the outside, but I bump into a ton of people, as I say, Matty Wilcock and these yeah. people have been nothing but just fantastic to me. Uh, sending oh, stars yeah, no, and, and, as I said, they should, and we are. It's like, as I said, it's just... But it was some back people, then. Yeah, some but, people that, you know, feel like they got left behind or something. I don't know. Yeah, but you're not wrong. Back then, I, people go on about the good old days. I think they were shit. <laughs> it's much better now. You with, you with your story being the exception, I, I remember being in a pub somewhere and some bloke was telling me that uh, Cryogenic were a shit band and his band were much better. I'm like, I don't even know this fucking dickhead. Uh, yeah, he's ratting on Cryogenic, who I just I seen, and, they, and they, they they tore the floorboards up. I can assure you, they did a great yeah. job. And this guy, and I was like, and then you hear this this other band that reckoned that they had something like, 
Oh, I don't know whether it was streams or downloads or something like that. There was some band, it was an Australian band. It was all just bullshit. And then there was the the zeitgeist for me with the Australian music scene, and God help me for saying this, okay, that, that highlighted that it wasn't that great, was the Cradle of Filth gig in 1997 because that fucking promoter, excuse me. Oh, could, you, on, was it, could you? Yeah, at Salinas, yeah. yeah. He put on about eight or nine bands before them yeah. when really it was completely unnecessary. Lord Chaos are one of the bands, by the way. Um know. And it was too much, man, and the quality wasn't there. It yeah. really wasn't. As a fan, it just wasn't there. You had, you know, you had the band that sounded like Morbid Angel. You had the band that mimicked this other band, you know, and 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 Segression were there as well. And none of it fit. None of it quite fit. It was built as a festival. I know that's the de jour thing to do these days, but this yeah. is way back before it was trendy to do that. And uh, I remember talking to Stu about it. He's like, yeah, great gig, but we went on. What time did they go on? About 1 o'clock or 1.30 or something like yeah. that? It was, it was nuts. As I said, it's I don't know, but um, uh, the only thing I remember about that and the only reason why I know about it is because uh, I think Brad wrote me a letter at Metallians or something and going like, oh, Lord Chaos is playing with Craig LaFille for her. And I'm like, that's before, like, anyone had known that I was started playing in these bands, so they thought it was like a, a you know, my bad for, for leaving the band where I would have played a shitty gig at Selena's with Craig LaFille, you know. And so that yeah. was quite that was quite funny. <laughs> we were. I remember that night well because uh, we were all exhausted. My mates and I were. Ex- we we didn't drink back then because uh, yeah. I was driving and uh, I was just absolutely exhausted. I mean, it was a it was a grand thing to see Nick Barker and Stuart Answers in action, no doubt. And I still sure. thank God I've got that memory. Uh, and it was a very memorable gig for Stuart too. He remembered everything about it because it reminded him of being on the shores of Devon, where he's from. Yeah, and uh, he talked about that and. Uh, I think that was one of those moments where he realised that, hey, we're actually doing it, you know, th- those moments in time where you just sort of stop and go, wow, we're actually doing yeah. this. So, but, yeah, the, the, the scene back then, I'm sorry, it's, uh, I, I bought a lot of the Warhead record stuff uh, with the greatest of respect to the bands and to the label. I don't listen to a lot of it these days. It hasn't survived to this day with the, with the exception of your stuff. Um, I listen to your stuff periodically and I'd put it on a couple of times a year and thank God it's on Spotify. Uh if that's your work putting it on there, thank you for doing that. No, it's not. Sort of, uh, I don't well, I, hope, I don't think it is. I've got to work that stuff out. <laughs> well I hope, I hope someone's paying you mate for it. Put it that way. So yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. um but I'm probably responsible for about a quarter of the streams on there at the minute. So <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> no, as I said it's just stuff like that like I said like then this whole thing is is a steep learning curve for me because obviously when I was playing overseas, there was always someone to take care of everything for you, mate. Like, and that's why it's good actually just sitting back and just trying to, you know, learn what's going on now and how to do it. So it's kind of a steep learning curve, but you know, it's something to, something that's that's cool to work out yourself too. Yeah. Do, do you get? I've sort of asked this question already, but do you get a lot of mail from international listeners, uh, people who are very familiar with your work in Demu and, and Covenant? Are they they yeah. asking you about that? Yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah. Like as I said, like I've never had social media or anything. Um, um, a bass player just like opened up the Insta account, and then he's like, "I'm really busy," and he gave it to me. Um, so I'm all new to it, but yeah, I I I get smashed. <laughs> And that, yeah. that's good. Like, you know, it's I, I try and get back to everyone. Um, you know, it's it works both ways, you know, it works for them and they give they want, but it also works for us because it's promotion as well. I've just yeah. got to learn how to how to use it properly. I'm just yeah, like yeah, not that I, I really not that I really care, but I don't mean it in a bad way. It's just 
yeah, it's it's not something I'm used to yet, but I'll get the hang of it, man, and hopefully starting to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I don't worry. I feel the same. I think a lot of people feel the same way. It's a uh, the tide moves very, very quickly. The ground underneath your feet can shift before you realise it's shifted yeah. to reach the audience that you intend on reaching. I ha- I constantly get messages, people saying, God, I wish I knew this show existed. And probably if I put $1,000 a month into it, not that I have that sort of money, but yeah. put that sort of money into it, yeah, maybe I'd reach all of these people in, in far-flung places, great fans in countries in South America, Central America, you know, Great, like you, mate. You probably—I'm imagining a lot of your messages come through from the United States and Britain. Um, no, actually, more Eastern Bloc in Europe, Russia, Eastern Bloc, Scandinavia, mm. Europe, and yeah, and yeah, yeah. But I'd say it's more of that Middle European at the moment that I've noticed. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah, well, I guess it's the style of music too that, that never, never, ever goes out of fashion, does it, extreme, never in those countries. So, <laughs> no, uh, it doesn't. <laughs> Everything about them is extreme, mate. Just getting up to go to work is probably extreme for them. Yeah, I love the fans in those parts of the world. I've noticed that. I've had good conversations uh, with Pete from Vader about this and, you know, you, you, you travel South America, you travel the Eastern Bloc. I mean, you're getting the real deal in those places, aren't you? Yeah, you're getting the yeah. real fan experience. South America is... That place is completely different than anywhere else that I've played. And oh yeah, some places in Hungary and Estonia, Russia as well. Like, um, but yeah, I've played a lot of gigs everywhere. But the first time we went to South America, that was different. <laughs> Which countries? Is that all the usual places like Brazil, Chile? Yeah, yeah Mexico. The first one was Mexico, and um, that was that was really that was very strange. Um, they're nuts there. They're completely nuts. Um, and after the show, everyone that was in the venue was in the parking lot. <laughs> and that's fine, but, you know, you know, the doors open, like, you know, this is two hours, three hours later, and, like, you just want to walk to your bus, like, you know, bus is probably just 20, 30 metres away, but it probably took about two hours or something. And um, the promoter's like, man, you've, um, yeah, this might be different for you, but, yeah, you've got to, You've got to sign everything. You've got to go through everything. Otherwise, these people will go nuts. And I understand that as well. Um, they're just mm. different, different people. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, but it's just completely different. And they just love it there. They're just passionate about it. It's their life, man. Yeah, I've noticed that in countries. My wife's family, uh, mother's from the Philippines, and I've spoken to metalheads over there and countries where they don't have yeah. that consumer-based lifestyle. Of uh, mate, they they live and breathe it in the real yeah. sense. So exactly like what actually they live and breathe it the way you did, and they just it never goes away from for them. I've noticed. No, no, it's um, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it is crazy. But then you know, yeah, a lot of I've been to a lot of a lot of places like that where Dumu was frowned upon as well, you know. Um, that part of it was really weird when I went to some countries where you can play in, you know, Germany and do all the normal European stuff like the West European. You go to some East European countries or South America, there's always wankers that turn up and, yeah, like oh you're too commercial now you know you've sold out and you know they they just want you to stick a tape in and push play and record in the rehearsal room and i look i respect that you know and i understand that but it's like anything else in life it's like you know everyone should respect respect everyone else's opinions if you know what i mean 
And, um, but yeah, for, for these people, it's their life and like, yeah, you know, sometimes they get disappointed and that's fair enough. Yeah. I, I, when I say I don't understand it, it's, it's very, there are so many bands out there that sound like they recorded in a dirty pub bathroom through an AM radio that why don't they go and listen to them rather than trying to convince these other bands to sound like that stuff? See, your music would have suffered terribly as Cradles would have if you'd gone that route and you'd done that, that you know, Angry Bees in a mayonnaise, in a honey jar, guitar sound and stuff. And your guitar playing in particular, it doesn't, you have, you're very classically minded with your guitar playing, as I'm sure you're aware. And the sort of modes that you slip into and the like, you can slip into some stuff that it needs to be heard. It needs an oral quality clarity and oral clarity that only a decent production can bring yeah that's correct plus yeah i just yeah i like good production um you can go too far sometimes um it's good to have a happy medium but um yeah i'm all for using what you have to use and doing what you have to do just to to get everything clearly through you know that's Mm. that's that's a big part of it um nexus album is good for that like you can hear everything on that um Spiritual, uh, not so much, but it, it's it's still okay. It was almost there, I'd say. I'd say yeah, that you, yeah, yeah, there's two mixes. We went back to mix that a second time. The first mix is better. What happened? Why, why did they? Or uh, we, I don't know, man. Me and, me and me, we got back, I think, after about a week. Me and Shagarath flew back to Abyss Studios and remixed it. Um, Oh, yeah. was that with Pete, was it? Yeah, it was with Pete, yeah. So yeah, okay. um yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we went back to remix it. Someone someone had the idea and we went back to do it. And yeah, I probably didn't get all my way. So yeah, it was yeah, it is what it is. Look, you can still you can still hear the stuff. It's just a couple of things I wish was a bit different. Yeah, the keyboards were up too loud in that one. Well, yeah, well that's <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. Um but yeah, because um I think that's maybe why we went back. I, I don't know. At that time it was just um yeah, we yeah, it was decided that we had to go back and do it. So it was just me and him who went. So um I don't know. There was three of us, so I'm not sure if I won battles, but it is what it is. With with Puritanical though, uh, to your point earlier. You worked with Barker, who, who I mean, really, I mean, I know Hellhammer's Hellhammer, but right, Barker's Barker for fuck's sake. Barker's, Barker is Barker. He's the best drummer I've ever played with, and I played with him a lot because he did all the spiritual touring. So we did like eighteen months of touring with with Barker, and the band never sounded like yeah. By the by, the end of that tour, like just. Everything's just machine-like and perfect, and he doesn't make mistakes. Um, yeah, he's definitely the best drummer I've ever played with. Um, doesn't, yeah, it's a weird one. <laughs> Nick is Nick. Nick is very hard to work with as well. Um, yeah, he looked. I used to me and him because he was English. I was Australian. Even before he played in Demu, we always we got along well. Um, and yeah, I was the the middle guy to you know to bring him over to Dimu because as soon as everyone found out he wasn't playing Cradle anymore, that was the first thing that popped in our minds, I think. But um, but yeah, I was the one who had to call him. I was the one who you know had to arrange everything with him in the start because <clears throat> I talked to him more than the other guys. So um, 
but yeah, even then I remember flying him over. Yeah, well, flew him over to Norway and we went to band practice. Um, just I think Miselenos and Shagrath, and he played everything perfect first go. So it was like walked out of there like wow. Um, yeah, but that whole situation, man. I I don't know. It's really hard. Like if I could go back now, I would keep short off in the band. Like, right. yeah, it it's a hard thing to say. And as I said, Nick is the way superior drummer, but the drumming and spiritual isn't bad. You know, the beats are all there. Everything's there. Live, there'd be some mistakes and it wasn't as tight, but, um, you know, that's, you know, sometimes that's just how, how things are, man. Um, yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, having the best things sometimes isn't always the right thing to do or yeah, for me personally, like, as I said, if I could go back, oh yeah, I think it would have been, um, better just to, to keep shoot off in that band. Yeah, okay. I've had a couple of interactions with Nick, so I think I've got some some insight into what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you, you just find that I mean, talk about this as much or as little as you want, but did you just find that things were uh, one day they could be okay and the next day they could be a bit different? <laughs> yeah. Um, it just come down to writing, man. Um he was living in England, we were in Norway. Um we were starting, yeah, starting to write all the new stuff. We're just doing it at my, I built up a little studio to do pre-production stuff. And then I'd, I'd program all the drums. We'd do everything there and send him and stuff, or I would go there and go to England, just me and um, we'd work together. And yeah, it was just hard. You know, I, I was probably a bit hard headed too at the time. Like, of like saying, you know, this is my riff, this is the drums I want behind it. And he's like, no, I want to write my own drums. And I look, I get that. I understand it. But sometimes it's, yeah, we were just, it was just hard-headedness from, from me personally. I'll take blame for that. Um, but sometimes when you just, when you write stuff it's and you think it just needs that groove or that beat, it's, you know, I've, and I've just been used to, to writing that way my whole life before that. You know what I mean? It's, and with short off, it was easy because you'd write something and just say, oh, you know, say, I want this beat or this beat, and he would play it. And not saying that he didn't write any of his own drums, like all the drums are his, but yeah, he, it was easy to go along with, I suppose. Um, Nick was just a bit more, um, I'm the drummer, I'm writing it. And look, I'd probably be the same way if I was playing drums. So, you know, this isn't, it, 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 in any way, it's not a, a thing about Nick, like as I said, like that was he's the best role I played with. And yeah, if you go have a look at some like live demo stuff from '99 with him playing, um, yeah, especially the one in Detroit. There's a, there's one of us playing a whole set on YouTube from Detroit. It's mm. just locked in and it's perfect. Like it sounds like a machine, and it is one of these. Um, yeah, but. Look, yeah, we just had a problem, man. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. so it sounds like it was uh, personality conflicts within the paradigm of the song within the songwriting paradigm. It sure. wasn't when you guys were on tour buses or flights together or no, those, no, those no, no. barroom conversations or anything like that. I think because yeah, 
Yeah, he's. I mean, he's. He probably spoke to you all about what the hell happened in Cradle of Filth, but he's again. He's Danny still throws him under the bus. Look, Nick has told me specifically, and it's out there. It's got over ten thousand views on YouTube already. My conversation with him. It wasn't yeah. his choice to record the drums the way that they sound. Yet Danny's still in recent interviews. Like I'm talking in the last few weeks, he's throwing him under the bus around the uh, around the drum sound on Cruelty and the Beast. Um. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's. I understand why why Nick has his perspective on things. I've got to say, I do because I think he's been. I think he is the greatest drummer in extreme metal. He and Pete Sandoval, I've got to say. Well, well, yeah, that's that's that'd be my. They're yeah, Pete's my favorite. So yeah, yeah, um, and uh, I, I think it, to an extent. My opinion, of course, because I'm saying it, of course it is, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he's been denied his place in the pantheon of all-time extreme metal greats. Okay, and okay, uh, well, yeah. See, I I don't think I don't think that because look, I don't think that because I I hold him like as I said up there, like him and Pete, um, Derek Roddy, um, yeah. There's others, but yeah, Nick's up there for me, man. So I. I don't see it from that way, so it's just weird that you'd say that. Like, but yeah, I suppose like I, I don't, I, I haven't listened to other people or, um, hmm. of what they've been saying. But yeah, I, I, I think he's great. Yeah, oh, look, it could just be the perception that I formed, and I could be completely wrong on that too. Okay, uh, maybe he does get his just you out there, and uh, certainly via the listening numbers, he was one of the most listened conversations that I've ever recorded. And uh, yeah, fantastic fella uh, to get to know. But yeah, I, I know he's you know the, the, that it hasn't always been easy for the poor bastard either. And uh, I think being kicked out of well, not he left Cradle, I should say, um, but uh, he didn't leave on in, in a way that he wanted to leave. No, I don't, um, I don't think he did, no. No, and, and he wanted the accounting to be sorted out too. That's the other thing. Sorry, that's really what I'm sort of talking about. And uh, all this no, stuff's out there as a matter of public record, you know, and he felt that he, Stu and Les, when they left, they should have left as a block because he left a couple of months before the other two yeah. and they should have audited the books on, on that one there. And that's that's what I can't understand what the hell Danny's got. Um, even Paul Lender's got stories for days, if you know Paul Lender at all. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah but uh, he doesn't really want them out there on the public domain. So um, <laughs> That's fair enough as well. He's, he's driving trucks in the Midwest of the United States these days, you know that. And uh, one of the most gifted guitarists in the genre, and he's he's got his own thing going on. There's no doubt about that. You've got a label behind him, Black Line, I think it is, records yeah. over there in the States. But um yeah, his his life has his axis of his life has shifted greatly after his experience with Cradle, and uh, I think he he feels as though he's left a lot of it behind, which, as I say, is a shame, you know. But at least at least Barker's still sort of got his irons in the fire with um, Ruharia, I think, and there might be one other band out there that he's still sort of in. But I just long felt now when I say that he's been denied his denied his place in the pantheon of all time greats, you know, Hellhammer's still in mayhem, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 I'd love I'd love for Nick to be part of like a you know, a demo or a cradle these days. Yeah, you know where I'm coming I from. I do yeah. understand what you mean, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just that no, no shade toward Brujaria or, or anything like that, but you want to – Nick is a Nick is a headline act. There you go. Oh, definitely. As I said, I – yeah, like the first – I think – yeah, I basically – every time I've seen Cradle with Nick playing, I've never seen them from out the front. I would just go grab a crate. And sit right next to him and just watch him <laughs> the whole time. Like that's yeah. That's like, the same, and same as Pete. Same as Pete. Every time I see Morbid, like 
I just sit there and watch him. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. You mentioned some. You mentioned a band earlier on, and I wanted to ask uh, John Nordovid. I think he's, he's pronounced yeah. his surname. Yeah. yeah. What did you have many interactions with him? Oh, yeah, plenty. Yeah, I met him before. Um, the first time I went to Norway um, on a holiday, and I was staying in Italians. Um, yeah, I remember. We, were, we, I think we went, we went somewhere like to see something like, you know, holidays and Metallion took me somewhere. And then when we come back, standing at the front of Metallion's house was, um, John and, um, these, these two friends, uh, two brothers from another Swedish band. Was it Morbid? Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. There, there's yeah, some, no, no, some no, 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 but I'm just saying yeah. like, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. And I was in the car and I said, that's John. He goes, yeah. I said, what's he doing? He goes, I don't know. He just popped over and got out of the car and he was just like, oh, yeah, man, we just you know, we just drove over from Sweden to um, come visit Metallion, man. So, yeah, I spent a couple of days with him then, just mind blown, because Storm of Lights Band one of my favourites ever. And then I didn't see him again until we did that first tour and, yeah, I got to hang out with him a bit, man. I. I enjoyed time with him. Um, then we did um, Wacken with them in 97. We shared the same bus. And then after we got home from Wacken, it was just turn the TV on and it was in handcuffs going away, mate. Well, what's your take on him? Is he just misunderstood or something else? No, I think he has very strong beliefs and opinions that he's – He's got a strong conviction. Like, yeah, he he does what he believes in, and he you know he doesn't back down. Not back down, but yeah, like he's not a person that says something, you know, for fun or for whatever. Like he's a serious person with his convictions. He's just a serious guy. Yeah, I, I thought it was tragic to be to be honest with you. Mate. I thought I think the, the very talented guy. Oh, he's he's one of the best. Like guitar playing and singing and songwriting and just he's just a genius. It took me a long um, time to appreciate him, though, to be honest. It just it was one of those things where I it, I had to persist before I got it. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what it was. I remember talking to Stu about it as recently as 2017. It's only been recently that through persisting with Storm of the Lights, I was like, okay, now now I, it just, you know, it happens. You know, sometimes yeah, there sure. are bands that you miss. Like some people don't understand the Pink Floyd thing, which I can't fathom, to be honest with you, because they're geniuses, but... You know, some people don't like even the Black Sabbath thing or what have you, and it's like, but then you put on the right moment in time, the right album, it happens. And I just persisted long enough, and yeah, it just it just sort of worked out. And and then I went back and listened to the catalogue, and I was like, yeah, this guy had a lot to say. Yeah, he's one of the best lyricists as well. Um, just he's got he just has the whole package. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But, you know, yeah. it is what it is, man. I and I'm very lucky that. Um, 2005, I was um, I went uh, I was in Norway, and I went to Inferno Festival, and there was um, Candle Mass played, which is awesome. I'd never seen them before. And um, <laughs> but then the next that was the first day. The next night was um, Dissection and Morbid Angel, and um, yeah, I got to see, yeah, I got to see that last Dissection tour, and that was awesome. But he was a different person, man. Like. I hadn't seen him for so like seven years, eight years. And when I seen him, I walked up to him and he was completely 
different person. Like just stone cold, like just you could tell he'd been institutionalized, you know what I mean? Oh, really? Well, well that's how it yeah. come across to me anyway. Could it maybe he just fucking went out, you know, fucking jamming, whatever, you know, like who knows, you know what I mean? But yeah, he just just seemed to be different. And obviously, like as I said, I don't can't speak to anything else, but yeah. Might have been but was, time in there might have been very difficult, man. Yeah. Well, as I said, man, I'm, I don't, I don't know anything about that, but um, yeah, it was. But I'm I'm just glad that I got to see him and I got to see him play because that show was um was amazing, but it was different. Like mm. seeing him play back in '97 and Storm of Lights, like it was great. But yeah, this tour was I don't know. It was just it was really atmospheric. It come across really, really different, really dark. Yeah, I'm glad, I noticed, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad I got to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that toward the toward the end there, it did get a lot darker, didn't it? Yeah, yeah I suppose. But... Yeah, just the, just the stage presence, just everything, just the, just the energy coming off it was just like, yeah, this is yeah, this is different. Mm. Wonder what he was dabbling in at that point too. Yeah, there's some. Um, if you, those who know know, but if you do any journeying, you do come across some entities. Of course, and, yes. And you've got to be very, you've got to do it in a secure, what I call a secure and a shaman, a safe environment. And uh, if you don't, you can let some things in that don't necessarily want to go afterwards. And yeah, uh, I really? wonder if that had anything to do with it. I don't know, but um, I'm sure he um, I'm sure he found out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no no question on that front. Yeah, yeah. What about, was Varg sentenced by the time you were over there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's no uh, yeah. interaction with him. Ever, no, no, not at all. No, no, um, no, definitely not. Um, I'd heard, you know, I know people who know him very well, and you know, there's always people talking the stories and stuff. But yeah, I, I didn't get involved in any of that thing, man. Um, it's very, um, yeah, that that's before my time, man. So, yeah, yeah. Well, did, have you seen the Lords of Chaos film? Sure. I liked it. Most people who were part of the scene tend not to, though. What were your thoughts? Uh, it was a movie. <laughs> um, very, you know, you can tell it's an American movie, a Hollywood movie. Um, look, yeah, I I really don't have many opinions on it, mate. <laughs> Like, I don't like it. <laughs> no, not that I don't like it. It's just, um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, there's so many ifs, buts, ands, and stories, or who knows what, bro. You never know. So, mm. as it's from a story point of view, okay, it works well. And, you know, you know, people watched it. It's a story that, you know, should be told, I suppose. Um, but I don't know. It's a, It's a good fiction drama, I think. It's a very compelling tale, though. From a, I've done, I've studied screenwriting, and it's a very the whole. T- no wonder, no wonder Jonas chose to do a film about it because the whole setup was. I think it was Julie in the Hammer House that I spoke to about it, who told me about what the hell was going on in there in like nineteen ninety five or something like that. Mm. And I was like, what the? And even back then, it just sounded like to me that these were socially ostracized teenagers who probably were bullied a bit at school or what have you, and just hadn't worked out how to sort of 
you've got to try to fit in, let's face it. You know, you've got to function in society, whatever society you must be part of. But these guys just didn't give a shit. And and I think that's this is a consequence of these guys being in like a bit of an echo chamber. And I saw I see it as a very, a very human story, not a black metal story, about these guys within their own little cell, sort of trying to figure out who's the leader after a period of time and then it ends in tragedy. Yeah. Um as I said, man, for me it's um I wasn't there at the time. I don't know and it's it's hard to talk about something that I, I don't know anything about. Oh, you were there in the aftermath, though. You know what I mean. I mean, you were the, the guys sure. that you were around. To your point, you know, they're, they're not even there's no degrees of separation between the band members that you shared a stage with and those other guys. Oh no, um, oh, of course, of course. I, I, yeah, yeah, I know that, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. I I really I really don't know much about it. Um, look, all I heard is from whatever was portrayed on. TV and magazines and stuff. I, I really don't know anything else. Hmm. If you could go back in into to when you first got on that plane uh, yep. to Norway, would you change anything? Between then and now, let's just let's just stick to the period of time you're in Norway because that's the that's no, the really no, compelling part. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that because <laughs> you've you um, had so many journeys, would, but that one's so uh, probably no, 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 no. I'm. Yeah, maybe. Um, I would have liked. I sh- yeah, I, yeah. There's there's a few things. I suppose I, I just I wish it just would have worked out a lot better than it did with Dimu. That's all. Because I think there there was a lot to to go between. Yeah, between the people we had together, I think um, we could have done a lot of stuff. It's the only thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no question about that, especially with Barker and the band. Yeah, well, yeah, everyone. Mr. Vortex, that, that lineup was really good. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Vortex in particular, he's the bassist, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, good singer too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Borgen yeah. Yes, that's right. And Arcturus. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, they're, they're two bands. I did speak to... Lars Nedland. Did you know Lars? Oh, at yeah, all? yeah, 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 yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, another nice fellow. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, no, it's it's but it's it's tough, isn't it? Life on the road as a working musician, there's always going to be changing personnel in all of these bands, unless well, all of them do. I'm just trying to think of one that doesn't, but uh even yeah, Angel so that, you know. Yeah, yeah it, 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 there's always one or two people that always stick it out and then they after a while. Instead of just getting people in the band, they just get people to play with them. And that's what Dimmu is now. Like there's two guys there and they just get people to play with them. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it kind of sucks because it's not a band anymore then, you know. It's just every couple of years, let's just throw, let's put some music out and then get some people and we'll go and go and play some shows. It just doesn't seem like a band. You know what I mean? Oh, I, some, I know exactly I, some, what you're and, saying. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, They'd feel obligated that that's how it has to be as well because you, it's not just you and a band. You got record companies, you got management, you got crewmen. You like this. There's a whole lot of things going on. You know what I mean? So it's just like, oh, okay, you haven't put anything out for a couple of years. What are we going to do? Oh, let's re-release something, or let's just re-record something we've already done. And then there's, you know, okay, we'll write stuff, and then 
do it and then you got to get people to play it and it just it just doesn't seem organic I could I don't like Lars Ulrich at all but I could definitely empathize with his commentary so I want to be specific his commentary through, through covid which is that Metallica is an organization and yes. it has all of these people whose families depend on them earning a generating a wage from Metallica being active okay yeah, sure. and you can understand that in Demu's case, Cradle's perspective, you can understand in all of these individual bands, there's tour managers, booking agents, road crew, the musicians themselves, everybody that you know full well depends on these bands continuing to be a viable and an ongoing concern, and that's really what the industry is all about these days. Oh, for sure. That's why I said, like they, like I said, they they feel obligated to do these things, you know what I mean? It's um, Sometimes yeah. it's not want to, it's sometimes it's have to. And I guarantee you that what comes out of a have to is a way different to a want to. And that I was just going to make that point. That's why I think you're in such a great position now. Yeah, as I said, like I could have easily stayed in Norway, jumped into another band and just kept going because I needed a job or that's all I knew how to do and then just, you know, put out stuff, put out stuff. I I, I don't know, even when I was back here, I just I really didn't want to, I didn't want to do it just because other people thought I had to or I thought I was obligated to do it. You know what I mean? Now, as I said, now it's, I feel like I, I want to do it. Yeah. And and that'll come across in, in what the, what the new Lord of Chaos, uh, Lord Chaos, um, yeah, hopefully. and albums sound like. Hopefully. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to hearing it, brother. I think it's going to be, it's going to be one of those moments. I think that sort of transports a few of us old fans sort of, how long is it now? 25 years ago, almost Yeah, 25 years. It's incredible to think that amount of time has gone by, but uh <laughs> I would never have thought back in 97 and 98 that extreme metal would be as popular as what it is these days because it was such a hard graph back then in Australia. It was. Um, plus, yeah, back then, and yeah, as I said, it, you know, people don't realise no internet. People don't realise tape trading. People don't realise fanzines. People don't, you know what I mean? It was um, back then it was you had to trust people as well back then. <laughs> no, no one trusts anybody. Well, we've all been ripped off. God knows I've been ripped <laughs> off a couple of times, mate. Just fucking frauds who just lie. Boneface fucking liars, mate. But it's I, I don't know whether it's improved or whether it's got better, worse, or whatever. But yeah, I'm I mate, that's a good question for you. Do you trust people these days after being so having such a long career in the music industry? Um yeah, certain people. There's still people that I trust and there's people that I don't, but it's just it's just something that you learn, mate. Like it's like everything else. Um, yeah, I look. I'm good to trust people, but they only get one shot these days. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. Where before, you know, you give them chances and chances, and no, they just keep proving why you shouldn't have given them chances in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make this. Yeah, you're right. You go. Go, go, man. Go. I was going to say I'll, I'll make this my last question for you. Sure, bro. Okay. And I only say this to people who've got a really compelling story, and you're evidently one of them since I'm asking you. But, mate, when's the book coming out? Don't know, man. Never thought about it. You should. I mean, you, you've, you, what you achieved, Australian Guitar Magazine and these things, they should be talking to you. They should have you one of the, you know, as a, you know, writing a column about extreme metal and stuff, given the amount of kids out there that play this stuff and release shit on YouTube these days. But you have got the most compelling story of any extreme metal Australian musician ever. Well, nobody, yeah. nobody's done what you did. 
Uh, yeah, I understand that. People tell me this all the time, but <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still not sure. Yeah, uh, that thought has not crossed my mind whatsoever. Um, you know, I'd have to do it. I'd have to find someone to, to help me out with it. A year, I'll pitch the idea, a, a year in the life, 1999 to 2000, something like that, where you just talk about your experiences on the road or on the back of a tour, this sort of thing. And I, I look, I write books and I know when you first write them, they can be sort of daunting to sort of get that 50,000 word count out because that's about the bare minimum to sort of consider that you've got something resembling a marketable product. But I reckon if you ever were so compelled to do it, your story would be one that would, would may even cross over, meaning it's compelling enough to say, like publishing houses want unusual. They want abnormal. They want the bloke from Australia travelling to Norway and making it in an extreme metal band where there were no pathways, and I don't even know whether those pathways are still – I don't even think there's pathways now, yet alone back then. It, it was hard, man, even just being able to – working out how to stay in the country as well, mate. Like I was there probably like two years totally illegally going in and out before I got um, my visas sorted out. And it that was getting visas sorted out was hard. Well, I had to get immigration lawyer. Nobody from Australia had wanted to go to Norway to work as a musician ever before, so there was no law about it. So there was no precedent. So I had to get a lawyer who would like had to write up a precedent and like not get a new law passed, but kind of yeah, put it. It took it took months because yeah, we had to put it before not a senate or whatever, but just yeah, immigration place. You know what I mean? And it was um it was hard, but uh, like going back in in all the time, they'd look at your passport and they'd go uh, whatever. But there was one time. Or coming back, oh, I can't remember from where. I'd be in and out all the time, and I'm supposed to be in for three months, out for six months, in for three. You know what I mean? But I just kept going back and yeah. forward in because I had to. And um, there was one time I got stopped, and they asked me what's going on, coming in and out, and I was like, "I'm just a crew member for these guys, so I always come here to pick up their stuff, and then I go on tour with them. I always come back to pack." like to unload their stuff, pack it back in their rehearsal studio, and then I go. I got away with it that time, but then I was like, no, man, we should do this properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, that was, yeah, that was hard, but um, expensive, but it was worth it. Plus, you have to prove in Norway, if you want to get like a, like a permanent work visa, you have to prove that no one else in that country can pretty much do the same job that you're going to do. You know, it's, you can go there like on a backpack visa or something, work 7-Eleven for three months, but not if you want like a five-year work visa, you know what I mean? It has to be – so you've got to get a lot of people saying, yes, he's the only person that can do that job and blah, blah, blah. It was just a whole nightmare. Uh, but as I said, man, yeah, like it, is, it was an experience, man, and as I said, if I ever get to it, man, uh, who knows, maybe I could write something. <laughs> Well, you're going to lead a long life. It's just I just wanted to plant the seed. I think I think it's very important that these stories get told. Um, there's there are so many great stories out there, and um, you know, from Pete's to yours to Barker's. Um, I was speaking to Stuart about writing a uh, I don't know whether what you'd call it, a compendium or what have you, but how the two Dusk and Her Embrace is recorded and how Cruelty and the Beast was written. Yeah. Uh, 
people people want that book to be written, but unfortunately, with Stuart gone, I don't think it can happen. Yeah, um, because he was the guy I was re- relying on to be, um, you know, to be the executive, if you like, and to, to point me in the right direction after I'd written reams of words. Um, but um, yeah, it's a shame that these things can't happen, and that's the point, mate. Um, it's not that we're old, but we ain't young. Yeah, I understand that, and. I think at last count, there was something like four or five books, biographies from the world of extreme metal out there. There's just, there isn't any. You got Max Cavalera's and maybe a couple of Rex Brown's. Um, you got a couple of others, but they, these are the tales that I think need to be written. And the thing is, they're going to have to be released independently because the, um, the sure. publishers don't give a shit. The yeah. publishers, the publishers only want to know you, mate, if they might want to release Silenozers or Shagraths, maybe. Actually, I did ask. I did when I spoke to Simon. As I asked him that, and he said too, he hadn't thought about it. But, yeah, something, something I haven't thought about, mate. But yeah, who knows? Planting seeds is always good. Yeah, Cam Lee has got the right idea at the minute. Have you been keeping up with what he's doing at all? No. So I, I may have planted the seed after I asked him the question because a couple of months afterwards we were talking. No, I wasn't going to write the book, but we were just talking about the idea behind it, and. Um, then he got one of his mates that nearby to ask him a bunch of questions. He's released it as a series, a podcast series. So there's also that. Yeah, that, no, that way as well. Sure. I, think, I think the point is, it's just I, I, I talk about this a fair bit, but creating legacy. Yeah, creating legacy. So as though it's there, and make your your accomplishments then will be there if uh, you've got kids. Maybe you'll have grandkids and they can see what granddad did, this sort of thing. But also, too, people who get into extreme metal many years on. See, the albums that you played on, they're now part of the catalogue. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I understand that. You know what I mean when I, when I say that. So you've got the more Angel album, yeah. you've got the Cannibal Corpse albums, you've got the Emperor albums, you've got the Demo albums. The Demo albums that you played on are the ones. Yeah. They're not the modern ones. They're the ones that you played on and probably wrote a lot of those songs. So soon, in, in decades' time or what have you, in the same way that people listen to Mozart and stuff, it's not out of the question that people will pick up your work and start reviewing it in a similar academic light. Yeah, oh, look, for sure, that's a possibility. So um, something to think about, man. Right now I'm just going to... Um, yeah, the next couple of months is going to be some hard work as well for me. So um, that's all I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, it's all good, mate. I ask all the tough questions. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no, it was pretty easy actually. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. Yeah, I think this is. I think I last count. I think I'm up to nine hundred now. Of these yeah, times. no, I understand. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. It's good that you're doing it. Yeah, you I'm know. trying to catalogue everybody that's important. To be honest, mate, I was I was actually going to reach out to you anyway. So when I saw, I was that was I play. I was playing a gig, where was I, Alex Hills, and um, I saw your message come through. I was sitting in the car and I thought, oh, shit, wow, it's you. And uh, you sort of saved me the trouble, to be honest with you. So no thank problems, you. man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Mate, no, because I, um, right. yeah, I did um, did an interview with um, Arcane Archivist magazine. Oh, yes, I've I've had some interactions with him online, yeah. Yeah, and he, and he said, oh, man, Andrew's probably going to come hunt you down soon. I said, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right, man. As I said, I just, yeah, I just, as I said, I'm just trying to get everything out there, trying to get everything sorted, and um, just, yeah, I can't wait to start playing live again and yeah, put some new shit out. Well, there he is. Hope you enjoyed that one there. I certainly did. He'd been on my radar for many, many years. I had an awareness of him, as you could hear from way back in the day. I was just so impressed that an Australian could make their way over to Norway 
and participate as he did in recording and touring with the black metal bands. So, if you enjoyed that chat, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com and if you like listening, perhaps you like reading and you're in luck, therefore, because I've written a book. Click the link on the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. You can download a sample and if you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you personally and I've got some more information to share with you about the book in the moment. But before I do, I will bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Coal Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it, yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction. To George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was. Very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. 
so treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.